You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bashet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, yes, regular season football. We're getting you ready. It's September 2nd. This is the Immaculate Podcast. I'm Tim McMaster, along with Ed Bouchette, of course, one of our writers for the Steelers here at The Athletic. And, Ed, it is finally a game week. The preseason is behind us. Just talk about, is there a change in your mind as you make this move? I know it's, it's different for the players and the coaches, but how about the writers? Well, one writer, Mark Caboli, uh, got all predicted all 53 correct um, Tim so uh, you know uh, the writers look at it as uh, this is no surprise but as far as uh, approaching the regular season yeah it's a whole different animal for us as well as the players now this team got through that preseason the way the best way you can I guess and that is for the most part healthy just talk about that and that's that's the first relief is to to make it to the first week of the regular season with the same roster that you thought you would have when preseason began Yeah they they, they did Tim and that's important if you look around the league some of the uh, some key players usually uh, there's several that get hurt in the preseason some out for the entire year the Steelers made it through without that. They have uh, Ola Denny, their uh, second-year outside linebacker, is going to uh, had knee surgery, and then um, rookie cornerback Justin Lane also has a, has a minor injury. So um, those are really the only two notable ones. They're, they go into this season pretty healthy. We could still see some tweaks to that roster, obviously. Um, the waivers have gone through, but there can be some changes along the way during this week. But we do have to give Mark credit, 53 for 53. That's pretty good. But this wasn't – I don't want to rain on his parade, Ed, but this wasn't the hardest roster to predict, right? No, it wasn't this year. Um, you know, some people were surprised they cut Eli Rogers, but um, as, as Mark predicted, uh, that wasn't a surprise for him, nor was it for me, even though I didn't predict my 53. Um, I, I do think that uh, they might add a wide receiver somewhere here this week. They, they cut down to 53 to 5, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's not much depth there. We are going to look ahead to the game against the Patriots. We're going to talk about Joe Hayden's contract as well. But before we get to that stuff, Ed, I'm going to give you the chance. This is going to be something we do each week after the game, giving out game balls for the previous uh, game for the best performances from the Steelers. But I want to do game balls for the preseason. So not any specific game or the games in general, just the overall preseason. So there's a lot of different directions you could go in with this. But we're going to do an offensive and a defensive game ball. Let's start on the offensive side. Side, who do you give your preseason game ball to? Yeah, Tim, this is actually easier than predicting the 53. <laughs> yeah. uh, James Washington, a second-year wide receiver, you know, he had a good preseason last year, had even a better one this year, uh, 10 catches, 208 yards, that comes out to 20.8 a catch and two touchdowns. He was dynamic while he was in there. You know, uh, he did not have a great uh, rookie season, but it was a rookie season, and he came on toward the end of that, and he will be competing with Dante Moncrief for that number two job, which really isn't much of a competition. They'll use a lot of three wide, three and four wide receivers, especially since they only have one real tight end. 
And then obviously there's a lot more expectations on Washington this year. Antonio Brown is gone, so he you said he's battling for that second job, but but a lot more is going to be needed from him. So how does that change for him as opposed to last year when they were hoping to get some production out of him, but it wasn't necessary? It feels like if this team is going to have the kind of season they hope to in 2019, James Washington has to be a factor. Yeah, him and Moncrief, Tim, um, one or both of those players need to will need to pick it up, and um, you know it's why they signed Dante Moncrief in free agency. Um, really, those three guys: Ryan Switzer, the slot receiver who beat out Eli Rogers, will may be more involved in the offense. You know, he came in late in a trade last year and had to learn the offense and everything else. Now he has a whole year and a whole spring and summer in it, so uh, he should be. Um, uh, better in that offense this year. So it's really going to be a combination of of people who who make it up for Antonio Brown, including uh, what they hope is tight end Vance McDonald. Was it clear um, seeing Washington in drills, in games, of certain things that he had improved on specifically from last year to this year? Um, No, No. (laughs) (laughs) to tell you the truth. Um, He was good last preseason. And... um, they didn't, they didn't use him a lot during the regular season, and um, maybe they didn't have as much confidence in him running routes. Uh, what he is really good at, you know, he doesn't have blazing speed, but what he's really good at is taking the ball away from defensive backs. In other words, they call them 50-50 balls. They throw it up. Each guy has a 50-50 chance to come down with it. Usually Washington is the one who comes down with it which can be a, a key skill and on big plays and big moments and certainly on the goal line as well when you have those opportunities in the corner of the end zone. All right, so Washington gets the offensive game ball. How about defense? Defense, another no-brainer, uh, Tim. You know, we we thought a rookie linebacker was uh, going to be the hit of the spring or hit of the summer um, because they drafted Devin Bush 10th overall, and, you know, it obviously was uh, was a big move by them. And it was a rookie linebacker who was the hit of the summer, only it wasn't necessarily Bush, although I think he did play well in a couple games he played. Um, Tuzar Skipper, uh, an undrafted rookie from Toledo. He, his five sacks not only led the uh, preseason of all NFL teams, it's more than anybody's had in the NFL in six years in the preseason. And it's not just that stat. I mean, sometimes sacks are skewed one way or the other. He just looked good out there. He was getting to the quarterback. He probably could have had another sack, uh, too, um, where he just should have tripped up the quarterback. Anyway, um, he was dynamic. He made the team. Nobody would have picked that when he was signed. But uh, it seems like every year, Tim, they do have a couple undrafted free agents make this team. Yeah, and Skipper really saved the, the – I mean, he was good the whole preseason, but maybe the best for last. Six tackles in that last preseason game, one for a loss. He got to the quarterback for a quarterback hit. He forced a fumble, a couple special teams tackles, two sacks. I mean, he did everything in that game where he really got some time. Now, that being said, this is a, a talented defense with a lot of players returning. So now that we turn the page on the preseason and look ahead to the regular season, what is Tuzar Skipper's role now? Well, it depends on if they put him on special teams or not, uh, Tim. And Ola uh, Adeniyi, as I said, had uh, surgery. So 
Um, that Let's just say that's four outside linebackers now available. Uh, they only had three on the roster all of last year until they put Ola on uh, early December. Um, so they'll they'll only dress three, and Chicklow's going to be the third, unless Skipper convinces them that he can play special teams. I would guess he's not going to be uh, on the active roster for the first game in New England, and they'll go from there. Yeah, and then you just try to build on that. The important thing when you're a guy like Skipper and you're an undrafted free agent is make the roster, and, and he was able to go out and do that, and then you can progress from there. All right, so game balls go to James Washington and Tuzar Skipper for the preseason. Um, they they locked up a defensive player here just this week, uh, kind of breaking news on, on Sunday night, Ed. Joe Hayden, we've talked about the fact that they wanted to get a deal done with Hayden on this podcast, but they finally do here on the eve of the – regular season he signs a two-year extension 22 million dollars there's a 16.8 million dollar signing bonus uh wrapped into that as well um i guess first of all he's one of three guys on that defense that was set to be a free agent at the end of the year so it's good to lock a guy up um what do you think of the the money involved in this deal does it does it seem to make sense with the market right now it does, Tim, for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, uh, Joe told me he wanted to play. He thinks he could play till he's 36 years old. He's 30 now. So this brings him to, uh, what, 33, 30, 31, 32. He'll be 33 when this deal ex- uh, after this deal expires. So th- he'll play for them, provided he plays all three years, so 32. And the numbers are really good for both people. It really wasn't a two-year extension. The Steelers never do extensions. They tear up the contract and do a new one. So it's a new three-year contract. Um, And the three-year contract, uh, Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported it as $32 million, and everybody's reporting it as $16.8 million signing bonus. Now, I don't want to bore people too much here, but that – that signing bonus is is really huge, but it gets spread over three years, Tim, for cap purposes. So it counts 5.6 a year. That's actually going to reduce Hayden's hit on the cap this year, uh, possibly if they do just the minimum wage this year, which I suspect they will, which is for his veteran status, a little over $1 million. It's going to reduce his cap hit from 11.9 to 8.5. That's a $3.4 million cap savings, not money savings, cap savings, which can help them um, somewhere along the line. And if they don't use it this year, they can roll it into next year, that cap room. So it's a deal that really, when it gets to its end, if he plays it, it out, has historical impact, too. He will have made $123.8 million in his career. That'll be the second most ever for a cornerback in the NFL behind Darrell Revis, who made 124.2. So impressive stuff for Hayden as, as far as financially. You mentioned he thinks he can play till he's 35 or 36. Speed is everything when you're a cornerback. So he's 30 now. Um, obviously, the team is confident that he's not going to lose a step over the next few years. Is that risky thinking? No, it's not risky because um, they, they needed him um, in, in many ways. He, he's such a good person. He's, he, he, he helps those young corners, um, n- never complains about anything. You put him out there and you put him on any receiver – uh, even if he doesn't, if, if he breaks down this year and doesn't play in two years from now, God bless him, take that 16.8 and go home. Um, you know, some of the top corners in the league are getting that annually. So, 
Uh, I, I think it's a good deal all the way around for both sides. Is there any chance you think that he would um, move off the corner? Because we've seen some players have had success later in their careers moving from a cornerback position to a, a free safety spot, and and the speed isn't quite as important when you're playing free safety necessarily. Is that something he would ever consider at, at a point in his career if he feels like he's lost a step, or is he a guy who the pride is going to keep him out there on the outside? Tim, I asked him that very question. He says he doesn't want to move. And then we started talking about uh, others, Aeneas Williams, uh, uh, Rod Woodson. He didn't move with the Steelers. He moved with Baltimore once he left the Steelers and won a Super Bowl and became uh, a pro, um, you know, pro Bowl safety. I believe he made it one year and, and a Hall of Famer. But nevertheless, when I started talking to him about some of those guys, he said, eh, maybe we'll <laughs> see. You know, five, four or five years is a long time or two or three years, you know, even uh, when he might have to consider that. But there's a couple things. If that were to happen with the Steelers, Tim, the Steelers, uh, while they call them free safeties and strong safeties, they're interchangeable. They like to move them around so that the quarterback can't look to where the free safety is and, 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 and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. You know, he, he doesn't know which is free and which is strong. And... Um, uh, that's just one of their defensive philosophies. So I don't t- – uh, Joe is not a box safety, and he said, keep me out of the box when, when I suggested safety. Uh, free <laughs> safety would be another one, but he might have to go somewhere else to play that. Doesn't want to come up and stuff the run necessarily. Although, Well, he's not built that way. He right. is not built that way. Although that being said, Ed, he's a guy who on the edge isn't afraid to get his nose in there. And we have seen him make some plays on running backs around the edge. Obviously, that's different than, than going up into the middle. But um, some cornerbacks these days are, you know, you think of the Deion Sanders type corner. They're covering pass coverage, and and that's it. They're defending the receiver. They don't want any part of making a tackle on the edge. But that's not necessarily the case with Hayden. He'll come up and and make a play on the the edge if he has to. Yeah, you know, the Steelers, Tim, have rarely um, gone for that strictly cover corner. They wanted their corners to do just what Joe does, come up and make the tackles, you know, defend against the run. Yeah. you know, it's it, it it's one it's been like for example one of Artie Burns' failings is he he has not been very good at that, but um, you know um, they they feel that uh, that's what you have to do to be a good corner in this league. Deion Sanders um, was not their prototypical corner, but you know he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, he could play, but it's certainly a different way, and different teams have different philosophies, absolutely. I mentioned that he's one of three guys that was running into the last year of his contract, uh, defensive tackle Javon Hargrove and Sean Davis, the safety, the other two. Any chance those guys get new deals, or are they going to run through the end of their deals at the end of the season? Well, you know, I was told uh, a couple weeks ago that they were not going to sign either one of Javon Hargrove or, or, or Sean Davis. But with this opening, with this contract with Hayden opening up some room, I, they might look at Hargrave. Um, I, I don't know um, if if they can do it this quick, and I don't know that Hargrave wants to. I don't know that the Steelers want to, but if they wanted to, they do have the money right now. All right, well, let's put a bow on this preseason. This is the practice squad. As of when we record this, this can change, and I'm not going to grill you on any of these guys necessarily, Ed, but I wanted to rattle them off. Marcus Allen. Uh, fifth round pick in 2018 is on that practice squad. Trey Edmonds last year was often on the practice squad. He's back. 
Derwin Gray, 2019 seventh rounders there. Tevin Jones was a practice squad guy from last year. He's back. Trevon Mathis, local guy, Woodland Hills High School near Pittsburgh. He's on the practice squad. Another local guy is Kevin Rader from Pine Richland High School. You have Henry Mondo, Patrick Morris, uh, Christian Scotland Williamson, who's an international guy, so a little different for him. He's like an extra guy on the practice squad. And then Robert Spillane. So there's your guys right now. That could change um, by the time you hear this. That that could change, and some of those names can mix because practice squads are so fluid. But that's what we're looking at as we head into here week one. And week one is a good one for the Steelers because it's going to be under the lights in Foxborough. Sunday night football, Steelers, Patriots. What a great way to open things up, Ed except for history as far as the Steelers go, right? I mean, it's I think it's 3-8 and eight all time against Brady. Um, this team, I assume, goes into this game feeling that this is different. Well, they always do, Tim, and it always turns out the same way. They're 0-5 <laughs> against Brady in New England since 2 uh, Some remarkable numbers, and I'll get to those. They are, as you mentioned, 8-3 and three against Brady. That's the regular season. They've lost all right. three postseason games to Brady. That's 11-3. and three. So um, it has not been pretty. Now, they did beat them in Pittsburgh last year. They should have beat them in Pittsburgh the year before. But when they go up to New England, it's a whole different thing, uh, Tim. It just uh, Brady is so dominant up there. I'm going to throw some stats, quick stats out. For you right now in those five victories uh, that includes a playoff win in the AFC championship game after the 2016 season Brady has thrown 18 touchdowns and not been intercepted wow his passer rating is 130.85 <laughs> um, it, it, it's just incredible um, what he has done up there and um, against the Steelers. The only time the Steelers have won in this century in New England was when Brady was hurt and they beat Matt Castle. Yeah, that even that team for the Patriots, I think it was 11-5 and five that year. So that was a good win for the Steelers over them. But um, think back to last year, and you said it, it wasn't in New England. It was at Heinz Field instead. But a 17-10 to 10 win for the Steelers in that one. Brady was pretty good, 25 of 36, 279, a touchdown, a pick. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, 22 of 34, 235, two touchdowns and two picks. thing that stands out for me for that game, though, is that they held the Patriots to 10 points, and they only they held them to three points after the first quarter. Um, what did they do defensively in that game, if you could take us back, Ed, to be successful against Brady in this offense, even if it was at home? Yeah, well, let's start with offense. Uh, they ran the ball. You mentioned Ben had 235 yards, and in this era for Ben – that's not. That's a low total. Um, uh, Jalen Samuels had 142 yards rushing in that game. That's how you beat Brady. It, defensively, yes, you have to get to him. You have to intercept him. Um, you have to force some turnovers. But uh, if you keep the ball away from him by running it, Tim, uh, that's your best defense right there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then um, as far as running it, they – they should be able to do that, you would think, although this Patriots defense is maybe like the Steelers a little bit better this season. Um, how did they attack him? I mean, they he threw for almost 300 yards, and you mentioned they kept the ball away from him. So he was successful throwing the football, but they, they at least kept him out of the end zone. Um, how will this defense try to attack Brady? 
Well, you know, if they try to, uh, you always want to pressure Brady, especially up the middle. Uh, you get in his face and he flushes out of the pocket. Uh, he's not very good at that. Uh, he's no Ben Roethlisberger out of the pocket. So getting a, a pass rush, not so much from the outside, but the inside. And the Steelers have been good at that. Um, maybe not so much historically against Brady, but getting an inside rush you know, it's, it's why uh, Vince Williams has probably an inordinate amount of sacks for an inside linebacker, uh, for a defensive tackle end in a 3-4. Cam Hayward, you know, gets a lot of sacks. Uh, they hope uh, Tuitt can start doing that as well. And then you add Devin Bush to the mix. Um, I would expect them to send him flying in on a few blitzes. Uh, you know, we call them blitzes, but... If, Maybe uh, uh, still a four-man rush, but with him coming. There are some changes for New England as far as the O-line goes, and this is something that could help the Steelers. Uh, different center, David Andrews, battling a blood clot in his lung, actually. Kind of scary stuff for the Patriots center. He'll be out. Uh, they also, Tom Brady has a new left tackle, which doesn't happen every year. That's something as well um, that, that has to have New England concerned a little bit. Um, are those things that the Steelers defense can take advantage of? Well, the center for, for sure, uh, Tim, as I just mentioned, the inside rush is important against Brady, and I think you'll see them try and take advantage of that new center. Um, and uh, one thing Bill Belichick uh, is good at, he knows the Steelers are going to try and do that. And uh, what he's going to come up with, I have no idea. Uh, maybe you put in an extra back uh, to help out there, uh, more double teams for the center. Uh, but then, you know, if, you, if the guards double team in the nose tackle or, good, you know, depending on what formation they're in, if he's double teaming somebody else, that leaves a, a, a gap over the guard. So um, I'm sure the Steelers are looking at all of that right now and trying to find ways, uh, even if they're obvious ones. Um, sometimes you've got to take the obvious ones and say, okay, you take yours and beat ours and we'll take ours and beat yours. That win last year uh, was actually the last time the Patriots lost. They won five straight games to win the Super Bowl after that game. But 17-10 to 10 is a score that the Steelers would love, but it seems very unlikely to, to come up with that kind of thing in New England. What, what point total do you think it'll take, as far as the Steelers' offense goes, to come out of New England with a win? What, what should they expect to have to score in this game to win? Well, I'm looking right now at some of these games they've played up there, Tim. They've scored twice. They've scored 32 points and lost, the Steelers have. Uh, once they scored 29 and lost. The Patriots have scored 43, 46, 42, 33, and 32. I'd say they'd have to at least keep it under 30. You know, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to keep it under 30, maybe even more. Um, it's difficult to do, but, hey, you mentioned uh, two guys who are out for them. Um, they still have some a good running game. They still have Edelman, who is this Super Bowl MVP. Um, uh, I, I, they're still going to be a good offense. But at some point, when we keep saying this, we probably have been saying it for maybe eight or nine years, Tom Brady's got to show his age. You know, he's 42 years old. Um, you know, really uh, – I don't know how long he can keep going, but until he sh until he shows it, uh, he's still still the man, still Tom Brady. 
And he showed it a little bit during the regular season last year. And then you started to realize, I think, during the playoffs that he was maybe he just had his foot off the pedal a little bit to make sure that he was healthy for the playoffs. But he definitely had some weeks during the the regular season where he wasn't vintage Tom Brady. So we'll see if that continues here in 2019 as well. It'll certainly be interesting to see. Now, Belichick, you mentioned his approach and when he attacks another team's offense, it, he usually tries to eliminate one thing, right? That's kind of the philosophy this Patriots team has had is take away your best thing or take away your most dangerous thing and let other people beat you. In the past, you'd think that would probably be either Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell. Neither of those guys are there. So who do you think this Patriots defense tries to eliminate from a Steelers offense? Well, I would I would think two players. Um Juju Smith-Schuster, the obvious one, and, and tight end Vance McDonald, if they can do it. And, uh, you know, let uh, Dante Moncrief and James Washington um, beat you. Now, the the other issue is James Conner. He, he had a real good season last year. Um, so there's three you want to take out, James Conner, um, Juju, and uh, Vance McDonald. Can you do all that? Uh, I don't know. James is also good at – at, at catching the ball, uh, I think you're going to see a little Jalen Smith out there catching the ball too, especially since they really um, really have only one real good tight end in Vance McDonald. I think you're going to see them use more wide receivers and maybe split Jalen Samuels out there instead of using two tight ends like they have done in the past. Makes sense. Now, one more thing for this game. Um, the Patriots are the Super Bowl champs, so there's going to be the banner unveiling before the game, all that kind of pomp and circumstance. Um, will the Steelers just stay in the locker room for all of that and pretend it's not going on, or will they? do they use that as motivation in any way? What do you think Mike Tomlin does to handle just all that pregame stuff that happens when you're playing the defending champs? I can guarantee you they're not going to be out there standing and watching all that ceremony going on, Tim, uh, that that won't happen. And, you know, the Patriots, one thing about the Patriots, uh, they they have gotten off to slow starts in yeah. the past. You know, um, I, I don't, <laughs> unfortunately for the Steelers, not when they play the Steelers, but, um, you know, they have gotten off to some slow starts. And, uh, you know, who knows? Um but I, I think the Steelers bring out the best in them, so maybe uh, maybe this is an, maybe they're the antidote to the Patriots' slow start. They certainly have been in a couple openers in the past. Yeah, true. Historically, though, better to play the Patriots in September than December, I think, especially up there in New England. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of excitement. Obviously, the primetime game, so everyone will be watching Steelers at Patriots coming up on Sunday night. We'll be previewing it again uh, in depth with Mark Caboli coming up later in the week. Um, but it was fun here putting kind of a bow on the preseason with you, Ed, and now we finally get into the fun stuff, the regular season. Um, do you have an extra hop in your step this week? Um, it's early yet, Tim. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll let you know later in the week. But then Caboli's doing the uh, the podcast. Then I'll I'll pass the word along to him so he can mention me as I did him on my podcast. Absolutely, we'll make sure that he does that, and we will be back with you uh, next week for a full recap of the Steelers Patriots game. Um, so make sure you tune back in and check that one out. Of course, the first episode of every week you can catch on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, the Kaboli version later in the week available just on the Athletic um, exclusive. That's kind of a bonus podcast for us. So thank you so much for tuning in, Ed. It's going to be a lot of fun. Have a good time up there in New England. Get some lobster 
And, uh, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Tim. All right. Follow Ed on Twitter at Ed Bouchette. I'm at MLB underscore McMaster. And make sure you follow the show. And every time we drop a new episode, uh, you'll be alerted uh, on the app or, or through, obviously, iTunes and wherever else you follow your podcast. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. <laughs>